There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, we ask for your Spirit's help that you would illumine these words and bring them into application in our lives and give us understanding. We ask that you speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. Last winter, there was a series of articles in The Atlantic about the looming college debt crisis. They were very helpful, informative, describing an industry that has become monstrous some $1.2 trillion in college uh, debt held by graduates. And so what used to be a milestone, a celebration, a tossing of caps at graduation has now become something of a monster. That college graduates, the average it takes to pay off college debt is now 14 years And so what was once was a pleasure and a privilege to graduate college, to cross a milestone, a bright new future lying ahead, it suddenly is not so cheery for many students. The average debt of a college student graduating is $29,000. And studies are now emerging. The University of South Carolina has produced one, Northwestern University has produced another, about the deteriorating mental and physical effects that take place for those who carry loads of financial debt from their college years. Others cite debt as the prime reason for the delay in marriage or having children. And whatever the case, there is one conclusion that is exceedingly clear from all the studies, is that when we are deeply indebted, our debts begin to make decisions for us that we are no longer in control, that we are not free, that debt creates a decision-making process on our behalf. And here's the unfortunate thing. 
that for most Christians, this is the way that we experience the Christian life as well. That we experience the Christian life as one of debt. One in which we are paying off something. That there is a mortgage that hangs over us. A loan that seems unpayable. And that it dictates and it directs and it drives us. It makes decisions on our behalf. And that is how we often feel in our struggle against sin. But Paul says something very different about the Christian in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That Paul doesn't see us as ones who are dictated, ones who are driven by the flesh. And remember what he says about the flesh. The flesh is the old self that he refers to in Romans 6, or it is the individual who is under the control and dominance of sin prior to having faith in Jesus. And so he says that we are not under the control, that we are not in the debt of the flesh. And so this is the driving question this morning. Why are we not debtors to the flesh? Why are we not beholden to it? Why do we not have to continue to live driven by its dictates and directives? And there's three things that we find in Romans 8 this morning. The first is this, is that our debts are clear. We are free from a broken past. Verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. And this is Paul's overriding message of the grace of God. That Jesus was condemned on our behalf, that we no longer experience condemnation. That Jesus became a sin offering, taking the weight of our sin, of the power and penalty of sin upon Himself. And He absorbs it so that we stand in the place where condemnation was exhausted. And there is no condemnation for us to have because it has played itself fully out in Jesus. And this is Paul's strong, overriding message of the grace of God that we are not debtors to the flesh. Because our debts have been cleared. But the reality is, for those who sin, is that we feel the enormous amounts of shame and we feel them accumulating upon ourselves. That we feel a sense of debt. That we struggle to appropriate and really believe that Jesus has exhausted the condemnation of sin. And it is in that moment where we enter into nasty cycles not free from our sins, feeling the accumulating guilt and shame. And so rather than simply confessing and acknowledging that to God, it tends to pull us down into a downward spiral where sin multiplies and increases. And Paul is urgently pleading with us. God is pleading with us by the power of His Spirit that we recognize that He's done something to clear us from the shame. There's no reason to hold on to the guilt and a guilt that will increase failures. That condemnation has been condemned in the death of Jesus. That we're clear and we're free. 
our broken past has been undone by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the first piece of being clear from, the de- from not being debtors to the flesh is that we're clear of our debts. The second is this. is not only that we're clear from our debts, but also that our situation has now changed. The conditions that formerly enslaved us, they're now entirely different. In 1955, Francis and Edith Schaefer moved to Switzerland. For several years, they had been contemplating what God was calling them to. And so they moved into a small chalet on the side of a Swiss Alp. And many of you are familiar with the ministry of the Schaefers that drew people from all around the world literally to learn about Jesus in this small chalet that grew into a community. Edith Schaefer later wrote a small memoir remembering the life of what came to be known as Labrie, which means the refuge. And she talks about those early years. Listen to what she says. We had done a lot of thinking and self-examining over the previous few years. It seemed to us that so much of Christianity was being spread by advertising designed to put across something, and that there was very little genuine recognition of the existence of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so she she then goes on to recount a conversation that she had with Francis one morning around breakfast where he asked, he said, what would happen if all the references to the Holy Spirit were just taken out of the Bible? Would it make any practical difference about the way we lived? And he was pointing to what Paul is saying here in Romans 8 that 15 times in these 13 verses you find reference to the Spirit of God. That there has been a change in condition for us that makes us no longer debtors to the flesh. Paul begins the comparison in verse 5. He draws out two forms of life, and this is why we read Psalm 1 this morning. There's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. And so he draws out the way of the flesh and the way of the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so he's saying that these are not two principles that are somehow intermixed inside of us, but rather they are two ways of life. We are either in the flesh or we are in the Spirit. He draws it out very starkly in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And this is how Paul is pleading with us to recognize that we're not debtors to the flesh. And it's not because we do something. But it's rather what has been done on our behalf and to us through Jesus. That in the Spirit, God has raised us to new life and He declares that we are now in the Spirit, no longer in the flesh. And so in the flesh, we cannot please God. This is the life prior to our conversion in which we're hostile to Him. We're held captive to the powers of sin that we saw last week in Romans 7. But now... We've been set free to live a life pleasing to God in which we submit to Him. 
the largest question that people normally ask is, what does that look like? Because I still understand, Chuck, my capacity to sin. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. He acknowledges that, that we still live under the influence of sin. That sin is still very much present in our world. In fact, in verse 13, he speaks of the deeds of the body. Those things that we do that are displeasing to God as Christians. He recognizes that capacity. But what he says is that in the flesh we are under the dictates and controls. We are debtors to sin. That we have no other choice. That it drives us and directs our future. But now in the Spirit there is a new possibility that our overall situation has changed. This is something positional that happens to us. And he wants us to recognize that because we're in a new position, that it opens up a new way of living. We discovered this principle very plainly with our young boys. When they were around five or six, we were breaking out of the irrational phase of the three-year-old. And so we found ourselves able to have moral conversations with them about right and wrong. And one of the phrases that Melissa and I began to use with them is, you're a big boy. And uh, so they found some pride in that designation. It was a position. They were no longer toddlers. They were no longer babies. They were big boys. And then I discovered that there was usefulness in that designation because I could say, you're a big boy. Be a big boy. (laughs) Behave like a big boy. That that attitude, that action was like a little boy. That was more like being a toddler or a baby. Throwing a hissy fit and pounding the floor with your fist and feet. That's not being a big boy. You know that you now have this status that has been given to you. You've matured into this place and mommy and daddy have designated you a big boy. So we want you to be a big boy. And this is the way that Paul reasons with us. He is saying you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, where he's using the same argument, he says, keep in step, therefore, with the Spirit. Be who you are now in Christ. This is the gift that has been given to you. Keep in step with it. Stay in pace with what God is actually doing in your lives. That you're not debtors to the flesh because you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit of God, and now by the grace of God, by strength and power that He gives, what He says in verse 13 is that we can now put to death the deeds of the body. And friends, our situation is much like the situation that existed here in the United States prior to our formal existence as the United States. We were a British colony, and then on July, 7, uh, July 4th, 1776, There was this thing called the Declaration of Independence. And suddenly, no taxes were being paid to King George. It was declared that we were free from the tyranny of a king who was unreasonable and that we were an independent nation. Now, England differed. They did not see that rebellion as independency. They viewed it as something to be squelched, and so soldiers were sent It wasn't until all the way until 1786 at the Treaty of Paris where that was finally settled, where it was finally handled that the United States were independent from the rule of Britain, 
there was a long in-between period where it was contested. There was actually no way most historians recognized that England was going to be able to control this wild territory. The population had grown too significant that it was unbelievable to try to manage it now at such a great distance. And that when freedom was declared in 1776, it was real. But it was not formally recognized all the way until the Treaty of Paris. And that is the situation in which you live. God has declared you free. That yes, there is an ongoing struggle. And there will be a day where you're finally and fully clear and free in new resurrected life. But friends, it doesn't mean that you're not actually free. When he says that there is no condemnation, that the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, it is sincere. That you're not in the flesh, beholden to the flesh. That you're in the Spirit, able now to please God and to walk with Him. And he says that the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And that is not a life that is perfect. It doesn't mean that sin will not be there, but it means that there is a steady struggle against the presence and the overriding power of sin and that we're not debtors to it. We don't pay off that mortgage. So the third and final reason that we are not debtors to the flesh is that our future is also secure. One of the things to note about college students paying loans is that it does create a situation in which their future is not certain. How do they deal with it? How are they going to pay off these loans? It takes many 14 years. President Obama himself just paid off his college loans right before he took office. That is a situation many face and that the debt creates anxiety about the future. And we live in that same kind of situation. We see sin present among us. We know that death looms out in front of us. And there can be incredible anxiety. But what Paul is saying is that we are not debtors to the flesh and our future is not insecure that our future is as secure as Jesus is. If you follow with me in verse 10, he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit who dwells in you. That He's pleading with us to see that we're not debtors to the flesh and we don't have to continue paying off that mortgage because our future is secure, that it's sure. That if we are in the Spirit of Christ today, we can be sure that that same Spirit who raised Jesus up out of the dead will raise us as well. And He raises us to new bodily life. In God's new world, recreated and whole, flourishing as it was intended to be. That that's the gift God gives us in the future. And so it frees us from the fears that often drive us down into being debtors to the flesh today. Sigmund Freud, and um, most people fail to recognize that his psychological practice 
was really driven out of his experience in the First World War where he treated many patients. He saw men traumatized by war and he treated them. And he writes in 1915, in the midst of the war, thoughts for times on war and death. Listen carefully to what he says. He says, is it not for us to confess that in our civilized world, in our civilized attitude towards death, we are once more living psychologically beyond our means and must reform and give truth its due. And so he's just acknowledging that we don't recognize death for what it is, that in our civilized attitude we tend to play it down. He says, would it not be better to give death the place in actuality and in our thoughts which properly belongs to it? and to yield a little more prominence to that unconscious attitude towards death which we have hitherto so carefully suppressed. This hardly seems indeed a great achievement, but rather a backward step. But it has the merit of taking somewhat more into account the true state of affairs. He says, look, now this is going to seem regressive to you to talk about death, but perhaps it's actually more the actuality, more the human case. And then Freud goes on and he has nothing to offer us beyond to simply say that we have to acknowledge death. And friends, this can be incredibly disturbing when we are faced with that raw reality that death is an end that meets every one of us. And it disturbs some so much that they are simply driven into despair and that is to be in the grip of the flesh. And Paul is offering us something else. He offers us a thorough consciousness of death, that that is real, that it is a part of every human experience, that it is a part of the Christian experience, but it is not the last word for the Christian, that just as certainly as the Spirit of God raised Jesus out of death, newly and freshly creating Him, giving Him new life, so those who are in the Spirit now, that same Spirit will reconstitute our bodies and bring us into God's new world. And so the future doesn't hold us in debt either. The past doesn't hold us in debt. All the shameful deeds we are done. And friends, in the present, the Spirit frees us from that debt. We are not debtors to the flesh. You're not paying on that mortgage. And so when you find yourself struggling with sin, and you find yourself dealing with the deeds of the body, Paul is encouraging us that our broken past has been removed, that our future is secure in Christ, and presently we've been given the gift of the Spirit, God's supernatural work to assist us in battling, in struggling, in fighting to put the deeds of the body to death. That this is who you are in Christ, in His Spirit. And that makes all of this condemnation removed. That this is God's free gift to you. And He wants you to take it and to absorb it and receive it and apply it. And let that be true of us as we continue to deal with sin's influence but acknowledging that because of Christ, we're not under its power. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this majestic picture of grace that is big and full, that it frees us, 
that we are freed from both sin's guilt, from its power, from any future holding that it could have on us, and help us to know that we're not debtors to the flesh. May we rejoice and may we know what it is to apply and to keep in step with the Spirit's work. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name.